Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.
folks, today's Thursday, June 20th, 2019, coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Vice President Joe Biden under attack for saying he worked well with segregationists early in his Senate career, then demands an apology from Senator Cory Booker, who says, hell no, I ain't apologizing for nothing. We'll also talk about it, uh, St. Louis folks in a stunning story. Black cop shot two years ago by a white cop who says he got virtually no support from the St. Louis Police Department. Wait till we break this thing down. And also, remember the story we did on the racist messages that are being posted on various Facebook pages? Well, in St. Louis and Philadelphia, nearly 100 cops have been pulled off of the streets as a result of those racist social media posts. Also, can North Carolina State Senator Erica Smith beat the incumbent Republican in North Carolina and turn it blue? We'll talk with her. Also, Pennsylvania, add them to the, another state, uh, celebrating Juneteenth as a holiday. Also, two black bears in Dallas and Kansas City. We'll tell you who they are. It's time to bring the funk from Roland Martin Unfiltered. Let's go. Whatever the miss, he's on it. Whatever it is. Joe Biden stirred up a hornet's nest when he recently had a fundraiser uh, at uh, in New York where he talked about working with segregationists. Folks like James Eastland of Mississippi and Herman Talmadge of Georgia. He, he said he was making the point to argue that Washington functioned more smoothly and that even though he disagreed with them on a lot of issues, they still got things done. This was the quote he gave. I was in a caucus with James O. Eastland. He never called me boy. He always called me son. A guy like Herman Talmadge, one of the meanest guys I ever knew. You go down the list of all these guys. Well, guess what? At least there was some civility. We got things done. We didn't agree on much of anything. We got things done. We got it finished. But today, you look at the other side and you're the enemy. Not the opposition, the enemy. We don't talk to each other anymore. Well, that did not sit well with lots of Democrats, including many of the folks who are running against Joe Biden for the Democratic nomination in 2020. Uh, Senator Cory Booker of New Jersey was not happy at all. He said in the statement, quote, you don't joke about calling black men boys. Men like James O. Eastland use words like that and the racist policies that accompany them to, to, to perpetuate white supremacy and strip black Americans of our very humanity. Vice President Biden's relationships with prosecutionists are not the model for how we make America a safer and more inclusive place for black people and for everyone. I have to tell Vice President Biden, as someone I respect, that he is wrong for using his relationships with Eastland and Talmadge as examples of how to bring our country together. Now, Biden did not back down. This, is, was, his, this was his retort to what Booker had to say. Are you going to I apologize like Cory Booker apologize has called for? for what? Cory Booker's called for it. He's Cory should you to apologize. apologize. He knows better. 
There's not a racist bone in my body. I've been involved in civil rights my whole career. Period. 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 This is with Greg Carr, chair of the Department of Afro-American Studies, Howard University, Robert Patillo, joining us via Skype. He's a civil rights attorney and Johan LeBlanc, national security and foreign affairs analyst. Um, so, Greg, I'm going to start with you. Um, I read the comments from Biden, and I get the point he was making. I would argue, which I tweeted, I said, my suggestion, find some other Republicans who you've worked with, if you want to make that point, because when you talk about these segregationists, when you talk about what they did, their entire intent was to disenfranchise black people. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, young Joe Biden ran into Talmadge and Eastland near the end of their careers in the Senate. And I'm sure uh, Vice President Biden should probably go back and reread Robert Cairo's uh, trilogy on uh, Lyndon Johnson, the master of the Senate. Johnson knew how to twist the arms of those segregationists, but Biden was up and coming. He was trying to make his way in a Senate that was really controlled in many ways by those Dixiecrats. And Johnson was a Southerner. That's exactly right. Biden was a Northerner. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Pennsylvania, working class Joe, as he said. And one of the things they could bond on was their whiteness. Now, you know, this is not even 10 years, just a little over, actually 11 years, after these cats signed on to this Southern Manifesto. They were staunch racists. But, you know, for me, I think this is probably Biden casting about for a sister soldier moment. In other words, he's trying to signal to these white folks in this quote-unquote base that they're always trying to capture that they can never get, I'm okay. I know how to work that side. Now, I think he stepped over the line when he tried to say something to Cory Booker, and, and that puts somebody like Simone Sanders in an impossible situation. I, I, you know, Simone is probably going to have to massage that, that retort she made. But the, the last thing I'll say is I think you really raised it, uh, uh, Roland, when you evoked Fannie Lou Hamer on social media. When you hear Fannie Lou Hamer talk about James Eastland at that testimony she gave in 1964 at the Democratic National Convention, that, let, that means that Joe Biden should have had the courage in the late 60s he can't say this is a different age. No. Fannie Hamer stood up to him in the 60s. Why didn't you, young man? Right. And the, the reality, Johanna, is what you're dealing with here is Joe Biden also has to deal with the issue of busing in the early 70s yeah. uh, and his comments that he made as well. And, and what he also has to understand that this is not... First of all, being President Obama's vice president for eight years ain't kryptonite. <laughs> you have a generation of black folks who hailed comments Hillary Clinton made in 92 against her. Super predator. He needs to understand that you piss off 18 to 29 year old black folks, look what happened to Hillary. They may not turn out for you. Mm. I, aside from the comment that um, Vice President Biden made today, I think that it's very troubling that um, um, Vice President Biden is not acknowledging um, racial um, issues in America and how the effects of that has um, really, like the racial issues have really impacted the way we live, the way we see the world, and, and our ability to access various institutions. Like, I want a, a, pre a potential president who's going to acknowledge the wrongs of the past and provide me with perhaps proposals on how we're going to make the the future right, right? There are a lot of um, issues in terms of segregation, in terms of various laws in America that have, you know, 
you know, systematically oppressed people of color. I want a candidate who's going to speak on those things, right? Because especially right now, we're living in a time when um, we're at the crossing line, right? We have a president that we see time and time again have expressed that issues impacting people of color are not a priority, right? So I want Biden to be more on course in terms of providing us with possible solutions. This is not the first alarming comment that he has made. This is, it seems to be a trend, and I'm not sure who his advisors are, but he needs to be a bit more well-advised when it comes to issues impacting Here's, here's the deal, color. though. You, 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 you can't advise someone like Biden. <laughs> Robert, the reality is it, he, he is who he is. But here's what Ron Brownstein uh, tweeted out earlier, uh, Robert. He says, re-upping the Joe Biden campaign. Here we go to my iPad. The Joe Biden campaign is testing whether today's Dems can accept the choices earlier party leaders made when Southern conservatives were vital to their House Senate majorities and non-college whites. Many conservatives on culture slash race equal 70% of all voters. Now, let, let me, un, and there was a quote he used in here, and I'm going to uh, pull it up as well, uh, where he said, uh, quote, Dems uh, in, uh, first of all, he said, Joe Biden will now force Democrats to decide whether those earlier views are still acceptable in a party that has moved left since then on all racially related issues in response to both the shifting attitudes in the country and the increasing diversity of its voters. He also said, Dems in almost every state, and certainly in presidential elections, relied on an electoral coalition mm -hmm. centered primarily on whites without college degrees and secondarily on African Americans. In 1980, 60% of Carter's votes in his losing race versus Reagan mm -hmm. came from working class whites. All we've heard in the past two and a half years, three years of Donald Trump, Robert, is that you had those white voters who went for Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. You had, and I said this, 60 days out, I, I could pull the video up on MSNBC. I said, what you cannot count are white folks who've never voted before coming out of the woodworks and voting. Like it or not, and you have to deal with this, mm -hmm. A Joe Biden is saying to white voters, That's right. I'm a better option than Trump. So now the calculus, Robert, has to, people have to now, people now have to make the determination. And first of all, I'm not handing the nomination to Joe Biden. But don't folks have to make a determination, do I roll with this or do I accept Trump 2.0? Mm -hmm. Well, part of me wants to disagree with everybody on the panel, who I usually do. I think there are a thousand and fifty things to disagree and to criticize Joe Biden on. I don't think this is one of them. If you look at what he is saying, he is making the very particular point that the Tea Party Republicans now, that the Mitch McConnell Republicans now are harder to work with than Dixiecrats in the 1970s, that the people we have in office right now who blocked President Obama for eight years are more recalcitrant in their political acumen than people like Talmadge, like people like Eastland, like people like Strong Thurmond were, who are at least willing to negotiate, who are at least willing to sit down and come to a good faith agreement. So if that is the, if that's the litmus test that we're going to have for a Democratic candidate, whether or not they are completely uh, pure 
on all subject matter, then it could be very difficult to build a coalition that wins outside of the traditional blue state. No, Robert, if, Robert, 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 if Robert, Robert, if Biden has said just what you said, we wouldn't be here. See, that, see that's the difference. That's right. Had Joe Biden said, let me tell y'all something. <laughs> when I was a young man who came to the United States Senate, we had some of the most virulent racists from southern states. I had to work with folks like Jim Eastland of Mississippi, folks like Herman Talmadge of Georgia, folks who blocked every advancement for African Americans, you name it. And you know what? If I had to compare them to today's Republican Party, it was easier to work with them than to work with today's Republicans. That's not, and see, that's the difference, Robert. It's not necessarily what you say, it's also how you say it. Oh, absolutely. And I think Joe Biden does need to hire better communications people around him. He has that <laughs> issue that he has, where he just spouts off at the mouth as a 70-year-old white man and doesn't understand that the context is different now than it was in the 1970s or the 1980s when he was a younger person. So yes, he needs better communication people around him to tighten it out. Remember, he was always known as being a gaff machine. But what I do not want Democrats to do is take this a bridge too far. Do the, the creating litmus test like they did for Al Franken, where, you're too, where you have to be completely pure in all ways or else you cannot be the nominee, because otherwise you're going to have a candidate who can win California, New York, Illinois, and maybe one other state, and then the rest of the map is going to be red, and we're going to have four more years of Trump, and then four more years of, or eight years of Pence, and then eight more years of Ivanka after that. We have to learn that you cannot go for purity if you want to win. Obama wasn't pure when it comes to the liberal litmus test that exists now. We will never have that candidate if we want to actually win and regain national power. Greg, I agree 100%. And because, but again, though, what Biden has to understand is that he also has history. Here we go to my iPad. The book Big Jim Eastland, <laughs> The Godfather of Mississippi. Yes. In this book... The author, J. Lee uh, Annis Jr., writes about Eastland mentoring young United States senators yeah. like Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. Talks about how Biden wrote letters uh, <laughs> to them, uh, uh, thanking them for their work on the anti-busing bill. And so that's a part of this. But again, had he articulated the way Robert did, we're not here. But when he doesn't, con he said... We didn't agree on a lot. No, 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 no. <laughs> That's not how you frame two of the most violent, racist senators ever. No, I, I think Robert, you know, we know that they watch this, this broadcast. You know, Robert gave Biden his talking point, if he had said it that way. But something has changed between the late 60s and now. As you said, I agree with John. The, 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 the demographics have shifted. This isn't the same country. Between then and now, you had Bill Clinton, who, as I said, attacked Sister Soldier as a wink and a nod to those quote-unquote working-class whites that were bleeding from the Democratic Party. And since then, as the, and you bring this up all the time, as the demographics have shifted, you've got Cory Booker from a generation that said, we're not going to play that. And for me, with the bad messaging notwithstanding, and I agree, that's why I said Simone Sanders is director of communication, young African-American woman, maybe some of this is generational. If she had heard that, maybe, and nobody can tell him what to do, but at least talk to him that way. But what I was about to say is that you have the chastising of Cory Booker. That's not just tone deaf. And, and then, that and, is and, the character And, and, and that's the piece, Johanna. Again, listening, you, in an issue like this here, you don't tell no black man. <laughs> 
who also is a United States senator, he needs to apologize to me. First of all, Booker didn't call him a racist. Mm -hmm. Booker, Booker simply blasted the comments. And that's one of those where if you're Joe Biden, you want to say, the hell is wrong with Senator Cory Booker? He knows, he knows better than me. The, the way you answer that is, I respectfully disagree with Senator Booker. You have, see, I'm, I, I'm telling you, <laughs> Biden needs to understand, he, he can cloak himself in eight years of Obama. That ain't gonna save him. He cannot make mistakes like, like this again. Go ahead. I, you know, I don't want to be presumptuous, and I don't want to put words in in, Senator, in the Congress. I mean, in Vice President Biden's um, mouth. But, but I think that I think it's a matter of it, it's a generational thing, in, in my opinion, because we have. Yes, I'm I'm concerned about some of the comments that he has made. I'm very concerned, but I think that with the right people around him, he will do the right thing. That that I'm I'm confident. No. About, right? Okay. No. We, can't no. we also said nuances. if Trump get the right folks around him, he's 73. Biden's 76. <laughs> I mean, no no no. We we have to stop with that. Mm. You are who you are. A 76-year-old man mm. has to learn to say, "Hold up. I can't roll the way I used to." Mm -hmm. no. And to Greg's point about tone, see, here's the deal. I was on a panel at uh, Martha's Vineyard. Uh, uh, Charles Ogletree mm -hmm. had this uh, panel, mm -hmm. and we, this, was, we, this was 2008. Uh -huh. And Obama won the nomination. Mm -hmm. All these white folks are all up and on, especially these white women mm -hmm. uh, who supported Hillary. And we're on the panel, and David Gergen uh, was on the panel with me, and, uh, and you know, there's, he goes, you know, uh, Obama, mm -hmm. if you look at the numbers, has no choice but mm -hmm. to pick Hillary Clinton as vice president. And I said, well, the hell he don't. Mm -hmm. And then I said, I said, it's offensive that a black man can't even enjoy getting the nomination when the next day Bob Johnson put a letter out mm -hmm. talking about how he needs to pick Hillary Clinton. Mm -hmm. And so I was sitting here jamming it up. Alan Dershowitz took issue with my tone. Mm -hmm. I said, who the hell you think you talking to? Mm -hmm. I said, man, you know, and said, here's, my, here's my point. What white folks got to understand is that what Biden was really, see, it's a, it's a tone thing. Mm -hmm. And see, it's hard for white people to understand when you are proud. Why, why did Cornel West and, and Obama go at it? Because the real deal was Cornell Obama cussed them out no at the National Urban League. No question. It's a tone thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Obama, Biden has to watch his tone. Okay. And if you don't watch your tone, you're going to piss a lot of black folks off because for a lot of black folks who are 50 and under, Brother. we we ain't accepting certain tones. Here, here's my position. Here's my <laughs> position, Roland. I, I, I get it. But we cannot be caught up in these little nuances, right? We need to focus on the big picture. No, no, the no. Picture he needs to focus on... See? No, 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 no. This, but, Johanna, I hear you. I, I, I really But he hate. has to understand, mm -hmm. bro, you leading in the polls. You have to watch your tone. Okay. Because we, you're going to okay. get checked. Robert, go ahead. Uh, let's, uh, let's not take the politics out of this. We have to understand Cory Booker is currently trailing Joe Biden by 33 points mm -hmm. in the latest polls, 35% to 3%. Cory Booker, right now, Joe Biden in South Carolina has 50% of the black vote, and if Cory Booker can't make a showing in South Carolina, he has no reason to be in mm -hmm. the race. So understand the politics around it. Cory Booker isn't just doing this, no, uh, 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 with, a, with an empty heart, mm -hmm. or he is not doing this for no reason. Mm -hmm. He is trying to 
to make a case for him to rise in the polls to make some kind of headway against the other candidates who are left I in understand. the dust. And we can't leave that out of it. But, Johanna, this is the final cut before I go to my next story. The reality on stories like this is you have to look at 2016. Mm-hmm. You had a generation of black voters mm-hmm. who hailed super predators against Hillary Clinton. They held it against her mm-hmm. and never let go. I'm just saying, it's true. and they did not vote. And, and I understand, as people, we have to look at our priorities, right? Was that the best move? Let's look at in the context of what's happening. I would say it wasn't, right? but they did it anyway. Right. So, so as a people, we have to re, 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 readdress our values. Like, what uh, do we value? Are we going to focus on every little nuance, things that don't really matter? When, in fact, I think if you have a person like Biden in office, I think that with the right people around him, he'll do the right thing. I mean, he hired Sarah, I mean, Miss um, um, Simone um, but, but, as but, his PR but, but here's the point. Yeah, and I think here's that... The, but here's the final mm-hmm. point of this here. Mm-hmm. And I totally agree with you. Mm-hmm. I understand practicality. Mm-hmm. I understand common sense. Mm-hmm. But... The onus is also on the candidate Absolutely. to understand mm-hmm. that I better watch my tone. Exactly. I better watch how I mm-hmm. say it because now what he's done is mm-hmm. he's now had to deal with this for 48 hours. Mm-hmm. And it's called uh, an unforced error. And it's a good That's, thing. It's but, a good thing. No, actually, it's not, not a good no, thing. it's a good but thing. But it's a good thing it's happening in June and not in October. That's a good That's point. what's a good but thing. But it's a good thing to, uh, to uh, um, address the issues, like, at the very beginning, to let you know that, to call things out as they are. I'm saying because I think that a lot of times mm-hmm. we, don't, we don't do that. It's I think a, it's a good thing. It's, it's a good approach. Era, you shouldn't have to be dealing with it. And so it was a mistake. But All I'm saying is, as well, so. Vice President Biden is real simple. Use Arlen Specter. Use some other Republicans you work for. Mm. Don't use segregation is all I'm saying. <laughs> Let's talk about St. Louis, where a black police officer is speaking out about racial division in the police department. Officer Milton Green, folks, was shot by one of his co-workers two years ago. Green is black, and the person who shot him is white. Police police chief Lawrence O'Toole says it was friendly fire, but Green says it was racism and is filing a suit against the St. Louis Police Department. Now, folks, let me explain to you exactly what happened here. Uh, a guy uh, had an accident. He was sitting here, and then they were chasing him. Uh, Green hears it, grabs his gun badge. He yells, I'm a cop. Cop tells him, Put your gun down. Another cop comes along while saying, put your gun down, shoots Green. He has since been on disability, has been unable to use his right arm. The, the uh, white union raised money for the cop who shot him. Green says he has not gotten the kind of support he needs from the police department. And he says it's dead wrong. Now, the chief, of course, had disagreed with that. The question is... What happens now? Joining us now is Milton Green's attorney, Javad Kazeli, and Reddit Hudson, founder of the National Coalition of Law Enforcement uh, Officers for Justice Reform and Accountability. Uh, first of all, uh, I want to go to you, uh, Javad. When you look at this story here, I mean, again, I've heard from many other black cops who said, man, the worst position I want to be in is when I'm not on duty or I'm not in uniform. Yeah. Um, well, thank you for having me. This is one of the most egregious cases I've ever seen. It's actually a little bit worse than the way that you described. Um, Officer Green saw these two suspects. One of them pointed a gun at Officer Green. He pulled out his weapon that he's supposed to have on him all the time, pointed it at the guy. The guy ran away. All of a sudden, he's surrounded by other police officers. They tell him to get on the ground. 
He gets on the ground, puts his gun down, identifies himself as a police officer. The detective on the scene recognizes him, tells him to stand up. He stands up, calmly is talking to the detective with his badge in his hand. And mind you, this is Missouri, the most lax gun laws. You can have a gun. But he has his badge in his hand. All of a sudden, another cop shows up late and just looks at Milton, immediately yells, put down your gun, and shoots him, hitting him in his arm, ending his career. Now, we're two years after this has happened, and Milton's disability um, payments haven't even been adjudicated yet. His house is in foreclosure. You know, he's basically losing everything because the city is not supporting him. And and what w- what's crazy here is, again, a police department not owning up to it. The cop who shot him, any charges filed against him? No, no charges filed against him. We did learn this week when we filed the lawsuit um, and we served it on the police department. They came back and they rejected the lawsuit because they've told us that he no longer works for the police department. We've been told that it has nothing to do with um, Officer Green's case, that he's just not there anymore. Wow. Ritter Hudson, um, again, this, this, we hear this from a lot of black police officers who say they are scared to death when they have to be on the other end of the barrel of a gun by another cop. Man, Roland, you have black officers who are scared to be on duty now with some of their fellow officers. As I think you referenced earlier on social media, one of my colleagues who's a police officer with St. Louis City right now, Detective Heather Taylor, is the president of the Ethical Society of Police Officers, mm-hmm. which is a predominantly black police officers association, one of the better black municipal police officers associations in the country, you have officers online posting things like they hope she bleeds to death because she's consistently called for accountability among police officers on that department. And the fact that that officer is no longer with the department, I guarantee you he left voluntarily. He wasn't forced out. One of the points of emphasis in a case like this that I would like to make, uh, especially for officers around the country, is this union. The St. Louis Police Officers Association is a union of police officers that did not back Milton Green in this situation. They did back the guy who shot him in this situation. There was another officer, black officer, Luther Hall, who was beaten unmercifully by four white officers here in St. Louis City at a protest during the Jason Stockley verdict. If you remember that, there were protests following the not guilty verdict for Jason Stockley, who was the officer who announced the murder of a black man, and then carried it out, uh, almost execution style. Beat Luther Hall within an inch of his life. That police officer's union offered him no support. So to those officers around the country, black officers who belong to these unions, man, stop giving your money to these unions that will do nothing for you and won't represent your interests or your community's interests at any time and will always stand against you. Uh, Witness the union in Cleveland now that fought for the officer that killed Tamir Rice to get his job back. Javad, uh, your client, Milton Green, still can't use his right arm? He cannot. He can't hold a gun. I mean, he can use his hand, but when he shows it, he can't fully squeeze. He actually has to do um, workouts with a soup can right now. He can't properly hold a gun and fire it. He would be a liability to himself if he were um, on the streets. He hasn't been back to work since the incident occurred, and tomorrow will be the two-year anniversary. 
mm. of that. And to talk about the, uh, the Stockley cases, we actually represent about 16 people that were beaten the same night that Officer Hall was beaten. And the police department's position seems to be... Did I lose? No. Oh, you're there. Go ahead. Okay, good. Um, the police office, the police's um, position seems to be that the 120 people that they beat and pepper sprayed that night, that was lawful. But randomly, the only person that they made a mistake on was the one undercover police officer who happened to be black. The night that Milton was shot, he came in, he was rushed to, with a uh, officer down call, was rushed to the hospital. The acting police chief and the person who's the current police chief both met with um, Milton. He told them what happened. He said everything was calm. You know, the perps were gone. And then this guy shot me. About a half hour later, the acting police chief goes out and gives a press conference and states that um, Milton was shot in a crossfire. An absolute yeah. lie. That white police chief is now suing St. Louis, claiming racial discrimination because he wasn't promoted to to the full-time position. Wow. Wow. Roland, Go ahead, Reddit. This, none of this should be disconnected uh, from the recent exposure to officers all over the country, including officers in Philadelphia, St. Louis, and Phoenix, got for their social media posts identifying themselves as either affiliated or sympathizers with white supremacist organizations that hold white supremacist and racist views. There are any number of officers on our streets as we speak that police according to those ideologies and it's reflected in the way that they treat us and we've seen it time and time again. Now's the time to hold officers accountable. It's not time for sensitivity training, none of that. Punishment is the order of the day. If you want to change police culture, you have to start holding people accountable. And what you're speaking about, of course, uh, we had uh, the Plainview Project, a database produced by Philadelphia attorney Emily Baker White. We had her on the show. Uh, and what you're talking about is uh, more than a dozen police officers under investigation in St. Louis for a series of racist social media posts. Some of them uh, around the time Green was shot. In addition to that, you also have uh, 72 cops pull off of the streets in Philadelphia and place on administrative duty as a result. And I'm sorry, in St. Louis, 22 cops have yep. been barred from bringing their cases right. to the circuit attorney's office. Uh, last question for both of you, Javad. The, the point that we keep making, we keep hearing, oh, you know, it's, it's, it's a few bad apples. But what we're seeing fundamentally is we have fundamental issues in police departments, unions that protect them, and politicians are afraid to go against these police unions. So I was a federal prosecutor um, back in a former life, and I wasn't even born in America. And I really love American idioms. And every time I hear that idiom, it's a few bad apples. I always ask people, what's the next part of that phrase? And that's the bad apples spoil the barge. When other officers watch this, allow this to happen, and then come out and say that the people who do bad things are actually the heroes, that makes a lot of people question them. Milton has, talk, has talked publicly that other officers went online and criticized him for what he did. They said that he was being a fool. He deserved what he got. You know, why is he asking for handouts? He says that his kids who were raised in a house with a police officer, now when they see other officers, 
they generationally are now afraid of these officers. Until we have real systematic changes with the way that the St. Louis Police Department polices, you can't expect the citizens to um, trust them. And the real irony is that was Milton's job. He, is, he was a community resources officer. It was his job to mend bridges between the police department and the community. And now he's seen what the police department has done and how they've abandoned him. Reddit? Black officers wake up, man. A police officer will shoot you, disable you, and then have his colleagues question why you're looking for handouts. What we need now is leadership. We have that opportunity here in St. Louis. We have a black chief of police. We have a black public safety director. We need them to stand in the cut, man, and, and make a stand against these kinds of systemic abuses that reflect the racism that's at the foundation of police culture, not just here in St. Louis, but all over the country. And until we get that and hold some of these people accountable, we're going to see what we see. But I always say, as you know, Roland, I think it starts from inside. We need a critical mass of us inside the system ready to address these issues head on. Absolutely. Javad Kazeli, uh, Milton Green's attorney. We appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Reddit Hudson, thanks for joining us as well. Thanks for having me. All right, folks, going to a break. We come back. We're going to talk to uh, the woman who is running for United States Senate in North Carolina. We'll also chat with uh, Lee Saunders, of course, who leads Ask Me, uh, talking about uh, the resurgence of unions in America. All of that next on Roller Martin Unfiltered. You want to check out Roller Martin Unfiltered? YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. It's Roland Martin Unfiltered. See that name right there? Roland Martin Unfiltered. Like, share, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And don't forget to turn on your notifications so when we go live, you'll know it. All right, folks, they're back. MarijuanaStock.org is another great investment opportunity. If you were lucky enough to invest in their last crowdfunding campaign, you know they raised a ton of money in just a few months investing in legal marijuana farms. Those initial investors now own shares of a publicly traded company, and they are on fire. Now they have a new investment opportunity that is as good, if not even better, than the last one. I'm talking about industrial hemp CBD. For those who don't know, the hemp plant is the cousin to marijuana with a much higher concentration of CBD, which means hemp CBD gives you all the medical benefits of marijuana without getting you high. Until recently, hemp farming was practically illegal in the U.S. and heavily regulated by the DEA. However, the 2018 Farm Bill changed all of that, making it legal to grow hemp CBD in the U.S. and creating one of the largest commodities worldwide. They need land to grow all the plants. Now, this makes for an incredible investment opportunity, and that's where our good friends at 420 Real Estate come in. Their business model is simple. They buy land that supports hemp CBD grow operations and lease it to licensed high-paying tenants. That's right. They are hemp CBD landlords, and you can get in on the action. You can invest in the crowdfunding campaign for as little as 200 bucks up to $10,000. Like I said, you don't want to miss out on this. To invest, go to MarijuanaStock.org. That's MarijuanaStock.org. And yes, this is a black-owned company. So you want to try it and get in the game. All right, folks, uh, Democrats are hoping to take back the United States Senate uh, next year. Republicans, of course, control the U.S. Senate, which means that they control the federal judges that go on the bench. Now, it was a tough row for Democrats in 2018, but Republicans have to, have to now defend a number of seats, and one of those is the seat of Tom Tillis in 
North Carolina. Well, State Senator Erica Smith, she says she wants to be the person who can take that seat back, and she joins us right now. First and foremost, uh, glad to have you here. Glad to be here, Roland. All right, so when we, we talk about this campaign here, we talk about uh, facing uh, Senator Tillis. Um, one of the things that jumps out, we've had Reverend William Barber on before. Yes. Uh, he opposed with, under President Barack Obama two black women who could have been on the federal bench. They blocked those two sisters, uh, one of them who was the first black uh, justice on the state Supreme Court. Uh, what are you saying to black voters in North Carolina why Tillis needs to be sent packing? Well, number one, Tillis needs to be sent packing because he's merely a political puppet for the POTUS in the White House. And the sad reality is that Tillis is a flip-flopper. He can't make up his mind. Time and time again, as we saw today with the vote on the arms deal to Saudi Arabia and um, United Arab Emirates, Tillis voted with the president to declare an emergency and also put all billions of dollars into funding for Saudi Arabia. And so what he is doing is supporting giving immunity to a country who killed one of our top reporters, Jamal Khashoggi. It's just ridiculous. The reason why we need to send someone like me, Erica Smith, to the United States Senate is because I'm the one who places people over partisanship and political games. Now, of course, we know in North Carolina you dealt with voter suppression and an absolutely crazy uh, North Carolina legislature because uh, Republicans have really lost their mind there doing all they can to block black voters. And so how do you, though, get over the hump making the argument uh, that, uh, you're, that the state is better served in your hands versus in the hands of Tom Tillis? Absolutely. Well, first, I'm glad you brought that up because Roland, what the Supreme Court ruled is that the partisan gerrymandering and the racial gerrymandering was the worst scene. The voter suppression was the worst scene since Jim Crow segregation. And so when you look at Tom Tillis and his leadership, he started out in the House and he was the Speaker of the House when they led an assault on education, public education. Now I'm a former engineer, but now I'm an educator and I know firsthand the damage that Tom Tillis did to our state and to the future security of our state. When we get down to the dynamic of who we need to send to represent us. We need to send someone with integrity, with character, who is about results and not rhetoric. And that's what you get with me, and that's not what we're getting with Tom Tillis. you got to raise a ton of money, obviously, uh, to Absolutely. campaign statewide. Uh, what are you projecting that you're going to need uh, to beat Tillis? Well, to beat Tillis, last time when Tillis ran against Senator, former Senator Kay Hagan, it was the most expensive race, not only in the state, but in the nation. And it was upwards of $40 million. So I know off the bat, I'm going to need to raise $28 million. And mm. the good thing is that based on the Emerson poll that was released last week, I'm already beating Tom Tillis by seven points. Never in the history of our nation have we had an African-American woman challenge an incumbent and beating the incumbent in early polls. And that's the momentum that people see. We have a great opportunity right now. And when you have a candidate that is that strong, out of the gate, who has a demonstrated record of service to her local community, the statewide community, because I'm a three-term North Carolina senator, um, you have a competent candidate who is the one to send, and so the money needs to back that. Ground game is also critically important. You got Absolutely. to have lots of people on the ground. Uh, how are you building that? Are you focusing on HBCUs? North Carolina has more HBCUs than any other state in the country. 
I'm a proud graduate of North Carolina A&T State University, where dreamers become achievers from astronauts to presidents. Thank you, Roland, for coming down to North Carolina two years ago. You recall we worked on the HBCU bill that was set to change the names of the universities mm -hmm. and to take away our historical history. I have a great outreach with millennials because as a strong education advocate, I already do a lot of work with HBCUs and not only the HBCUs, but also our PWIs. And so we are definitely building a great um, ground game, field plan, a get out the vote plan. This this is not our first time. We are experienced and we know how to handle this. People all across the state are reaching out, in fact, in the country um, to support us and push us. And there's nothing like that HBCU love. Last question. Are you getting the proper support from the Democratic infrastructure? At this moment in time, I would say no. I'd have to be honest with you. We always have to work harder, shine brighter, be stronger, do twice the work to get half the credit. And I'm used to that, you know, from being a mechanical So, so you already have the primaries, right? No. Okay. The primaries are March 3rd, Got 2020. It. And how many, so March 3rd, 2020, how many folks are you going to be, how many folks right now already announced they're running? Right now in the running, there are four candidates. Got it. And so incidentally, two candidates filed on Monday after seeing the results, you have an African-American woman. And so I will admit we may not be the establishment candidate, but it's time for us to do things a Got new it. day in a new way. And so the establishment needs to come in line. If you want someone to win who can energize your base and bring out a new type of voter, then that person's me. All right, Senator Erica Smith, we appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank All you right, folks, when we come back, we'll talk with Lee Saunders, uh, AFS-CME, talking about uh, the uh, increase of union workers, and we'll chat about some other stuff as well. Next, the Roller Martin Unfiltered. This is Diala Riddle, and you're watching Roland Martin, Unfiltered. Stay woke. This is Director X, the director of Superfly on the red carpet or the black carpet, and you're watching Roland Martin, Unfiltered. Yo, what up, y'all? This is Jay Ellis, and you're watching Roland Martin, Unfiltered. Hi, I'm Chaley Rose, and you're watching Roland Martin, Unfiltered. I'm Lex Scott Davis, and you are watching Roland Martin, Unfiltered. Hey, what's up, y'all? It's your boy, Jacob Lattimore, and you're now watching Roland Martin right now. Eee! HBCU Giving Day School, Harris Stowe State University, founded in St. Louis, Missouri in 1857. Notable graduates include Julius Hunter, Judge John Francis Nangle, Hazel Irby, Bobby Wilkes, Judge Charles Alexander Shaw. If you want to support Harris Stowe, go to hssu.edu, hssu.edu. All right, folks, this week, Nevada governor signed a historic union law to help 20,000 state workers. Unions are enjoying their highest level of public support in 15 years, and presidential candidates have embraced unions at a level not seen in a long time. Joining us right now is Lee Saunders. He is president of the American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees, uh, and also, of course, uh, a uh, supporter of uh, Roland Martin Unfiltered. And we always got, got to thank Lee and uh, ask me for supporting 
I think we're the first ones out of the gate. Uh, we leave because of uh, uh, y'all's support. You know, we've been averaging about 8 million views since we launched. Uh, we've gone from about 170,000 folks on YouTube down to about 316,000. Uh, and so uh, we've certainly been growing over the last nine and a half months. I knew you'd be successful one day. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you know, I told you we were going to do it. We did you did it. So just stand Congratulations, the man. Stand the bell. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Let's talk about this here because what what is interesting that again what we've seen. And I'll go back to really Ronald Reagan. You go from Ronald Reagan up to present day. You had this constant, steady assault on unions. Uh, the whole idea of right to work states, uh, folks creating the, the 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 climate where literally if you said unions other than police and fire. It was a negative connotation, and you're seeing in these places where uh, politicians are now being pressured by folks who say, no, we want folks fighting on our behalf when it comes to wages. There's no question about it. As a matter of fact, the most latest polls show that 62% of the American public believe that we need strong unions in this country to be the counterbalance to the corporate greed that exists and the fact that workers need a seat at the table. Uh, that was instrumental in what we were able to do in the state of Nevada, where we were successful in electing a state legislature, uh, both on the House and Senate side, who believed in supporting working families, who believed that unions made a difference for workers. We were able to elect a new governor, Steve Sisolak, who believed the same thing, and he gave us a commitment that if, in fact, they were elected, then they were going to push for collective bargaining within that state for, for state workers. And that's exactly what happened. I was in Nevada last week and was with the governor when he signed into law collective bargaining for state workers covering 20,000 state workers who AFSCME is representing. And the, the key to this, Roland, is simply this. Uh, those who support us, those who talk about the importance of helping working families in the communities in which they live, then we ought to support them. And the end matter is this. Elections matter. Elections matter. And it mattered in Nevada. And we, we're seeing the results out of that right now. Do you also think you're seeing that because the, you had so much attention on the wage gap? When I think back again, I'm going back to 1980, going through the 90s and 2000s. What we constantly heard from politicians was, look, support big business. They're coming in, supplying jobs. We can't have anything that's stopping that from happening. And voters said, oh, that's great, that's great. And all of a sudden, they woke up 30 years later and go, on, wait a minute, what, what, what the hell happened? We gave massive tax breaks. We gave infrastructure breaks. We did all these things. And then what happened? They got a massive tax cut under Donald Trump. And it's like, oh, we're going to reinvest in the workers. And the CEOs went, no, we're not. And they haven't done it. Trickle down does not work. It never has worked. Uh, workers need to have a seat at the table mm -hmm. to control their own destiny. And that's what unions provide them, a seat at the table so they can negotiate wages and working conditions, benefits, safety and health issues, not only just for themselves, but for their communities, because when workers are organized and you have a strong and healthy workforce who has a seat at the table, that benefits everyone who lives in that community where those workers reside. And that's why you're getting this kind of feeling across the country and an aggressive action that is, being, that is taking place. You look at the strikes that have been taking place across the country. United Food and Commercial Workers striking up in uh, the New England states. 
You look at Unite here, Unite uh, representing hotel workers, striking the Marriott Corporation because, and their slogan was, one job should be enough. The economy right now is rigged in favor of the 0.5% who want more power and wealth at the expense of working people. And unions are the avenue by which you can unrig that system. And that's why people believe that unions have a very strong and important place in today's society. Um, one of the things that also jumps out, again, as you begin to look at what is happening, how do you counter what took place in Ohio? Donald Trump campaigns, talking about get rid of NAFTA. Yet in Ohio, he won by 450,000 votes. Uh, have you and your union comrades uh, been meeting to figure out what kind of messaging you're going to have to send when you go to Ohio, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan to say to those folks who voted for Obama but then who flipped for Donald Trump uh, who might be disillusioned now? It's about getting back to basics, and it's about talking about the issues that workers care about. It's about talking about health care. It's about talking about retirement security. It's about, about talking about the prescription drugs and the, and the price of prescription drugs. Fairness on the job. If you deal with those kinds of issues, and take the personalities away from it, but deal with the issues that the workers feel every single day, then you can sit down, talk with them, and more importantly, listen to what they've got to say, and then react and develop programs around their economic concerns and impact on them, their families, and their communities. That's why we were successful in many states across the country in November of 2016, because folks listened to workers and what they had to say. It's real basic. This is not rocket science. Sit down and talk with folks, listen to what they've got to say, and then implement programs that will benefit them. All right. Lee Saunders, President. Ask me. We appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Great being here. All right, folks, going to go to a break. When we come back, a shocking story out of Chicago where a black woman shopping in a Walgreens shot and killed by the friend of the manager. He went several days without even getting arrested. What the hell, Mayor Lightfoot? That's next, Roland Martin Unfiltered. Hey, everybody, this is your man, Fred Hammond, and you're watching Roland Martin, my man, Unfiltered. Hi, this is Essence Atkins, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. Hey, yo, Peace World, what's going on? It's the Love King of R&B, Raheem Devon, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. Hi, my name is Brisha Webb, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. Ow. Well, I like a nice filter usually, but we can be unfiltered. What's going on? This is Tobias Trevelyan. If you ready... You are listening to and you are watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. What's up? I'm Lance Gross and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. Hi, this is Cheryl Lee Ralph and you are watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. I mean, could it be any other way? Really? It's Roland Martin. You want to support Roland Martin Unfiltered? Be sure to join our Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar that you give to us supports our daily digital show. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. It's Roland Martin Unfiltered. Support the Roland Martin Unfiltered daily digital show by going to RolandMartinUnfiltered.com. Our goal is to get 20,000 of our fans contributing 50 bucks each for the whole year. You can make this possible. RolandMartinUnfiltered.com. All right, Robert, Johanna, and uh, Greg, a stunning story in Chicago. Circe Vernado was shot inside a Walgreens, and the company could be facing legal trouble. The night manager suspected Vernado was shoplifting and called a friend, a former security guard. Witnesses said the man confronted Vernardo, falsely identified himself as a Chicago police officer. <laughs> An argument turned physical, and the man shot Vernardo in the face. 
the man suspected of shooting her only turned himself into the police yesterday. He was also arrested last summer, accused of threatening a woman and once again claiming to be a cop. Robert, th th this is what's unbelievable here. He was the friend of the manager. You suspected a woman of shoplifting? She's now dead? Because you called a friend? No, you call the damn cops if you think that. And so now you suspect, not even proven, and she's dead. And he wasn't arrested for several days. Well, let's understand the Chicago Police Department is very busy trying to track down the criminal uh, mastermind Jesse Smollett and the uh, Nigerian <laughs> brothers who you know, the parent and police department has been concentrating on. Ron, what you have to understand is that this is part of the dehumanization of African-Americans yeah. in this country, that you are reduced down to nothing more than a criminal. That you, they can shoot you down like a dog because they think of you as no more. And that thought pattern doesn't just go along racial lines. Often there are people who look just like us who have that same opinion. This individual, the a manager's friend, homeboy, whoever it was, absolutely had no business in the store. Walgreens has very particular, I had litigation with Walgreens uh, years ago, has very particular uh, criteria set out in the employment handbook on how managers should handle security issues. And none of it involves calling in your own private mercenary to execute uh, individuals you think have um, taken part in a crime. So, of course, Walgreens needs to be held liable. The night manager or the manager must also be held liable for their culpability in this. And the individual who did pull the trigger and kill this woman should be prosecuted uh, because his life was at no point endangered. Um, uh, Illinois is not a stand-your-ground state. Uh, it's questionable if he, if he was even licensed to have a handgun in that situation or in that area of Chicago. So this person should be prosecuted to fullest extent of the law, and Walgreens should pay restitution to the family. I believe this woman had five children. To the family that lost a mother in this situation, whether she was, was shoplifting or not is beside the point. It's about the inhumanity exhibited towards African-Americans. Johanna, this reminds me of the case out of Los Angeles where they suspected an African-American man of, of shoplifting. Mm -hmm. Security guard shoots and kills him. He's dead. I, I'm sorry. There's not a damn thing in a, in a, a drugstore mm -hmm. I, I worth killing somebody over. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah, I think my co-panelist has said it very well. It's the dehumanization of people of color, right? Um, the fact that you think it's okay to pull a trigger on someone because of the perception that they may have stole something, right? And as you said as well, there's nothing that is worth anyone's life or anyone to have died. And the fact that it took um, authorities so many days to, to, to find the person who, who shot this woman is, is very alarming because, as we know, had it been a white person that was shot and killed, we know they would have found the assailant immediately on the spot. There would have been no ifs or buts about it. But again, I think it's just a reminder that black lives really don't matter in the United States of America and all across this world. And it's very alarming. And it's and, and it, time and time again that we have to be confronted with these stories and these realities. That's you know, great. as a woman of color, every day I leave my house, you know, there are certain things I have to take into account. For example, if my cell phone is dead, I'm not going to the store because I'm thinking that what if I get pulled over by a cop and I'm dead, right? So these are things that you have to think about as a person of color. And, and it breaks my heart. And, and, and my question is, how do we move forward? Because I don't know the answers to that. Well, and Greg, and, that, and that's the fundamental issue, that we have to do things that really the white folks don't have to do. No. And we talk about Black Lives Matter, this is what it is. I mean, same thing that's in Phoenix. Cops roll up, several cops, because the child 
allegedly took a doll out of a damn dollar store? Yeah, right. yeah, that's really? scary. Right. Just well, broke I mean, my heart. You, you know, it's interesting, Roland. This goes back to what you covered yesterday with uh, Brother Tanahasi's testimony before Congress and Dr. Malvo with, with regard to reparations. The first element of reparations in international law and the international policy that's been argued over the last 50 years mm -hmm. has been to cease the type of conduct mm -hmm. that created the problem in the first place. Mm -hmm. So when we start, people say, what's, what's reparations about? Part of reparations is black people are human. Mm -hmm. You gotta stop doing what you've always done. These police are pattern rollers. When you see Officer Green get shot, your uniform didn't help you. You black, so I can shoot you and get away with it. When we see these people posting on social media all this racist stuff to get, get them suspended, they're gonna go back on the force. And in this case, in this case, it's very simple. Well, I have one question, because you raised the, the issue of the mayor. What's what's Walgreens' point? You know, Walgreens' a big employer, and they got a lot of weight in Chicago. Of Are they the ones trying to stall this out in part so that you know they don't get hung on the line for liability? But at the end of the day, it does come back to what you said, John, and we and what Robert kind of led out with this, and you said it as well. Our lives matter to us, mm -hmm. but they don't seem to matter in this country. Yep. Mm -hmm. So the solution to this, it seems to me, has to me to be uh, we have to get to the point where we value our lives more than we value the institutions that don't value our lives. Mm -hmm. That means you got to vote, you got to organize, you got to do what you need to do, and stop giving deference to these systems because these systems simply don't work. Absolutely, folks. A North Miami police officer was found not guilty of attempted manslaughter for shooting at a severely autistic man and wounding the man's caretaker, an unarmed behavioral therapist, in 2016. The police department said it plans to fire the officer and has immediately put him on administrative leave without pay. We'll see. Also, Pennsylvania, folks, yesterday, the governor there, Tom Wolf, made Juneteenth a state holiday. He said, quote, on this day, let us recognize the importance of continuing to build a nation that truly reflects the self-evident truth that all people are created equal. Also, I want to talk about a couple other stories. we got a couple of new black mayors. Eric Johnson officially became the mayor of Dallas on Monday. Uh, and, of course, uh, he was criticized uh, for his response to Dallas's violent crime rate. Now, the city has seen more murders during the month leading up to the runoff in May than in any single month since the 1990s. I don't know how he got criticized because he wasn't even mayor yet. <laughs> Okay, that makes no sense. And in Kansas City, Councilman Quentin Lucas was elected as uh, mayor. He said during the campaign that he would bring an outsider mentality to the mayor's office, reduce crime, increase affordable housing, and steer development projects to underserved areas. So certainly congratulations to those two black mayors. Uh, I, I gotta, I'm going to pull this up, y'all. i got to deal with this here uh, because, uh, Robert, did, did you see or hear uh, the prayer that uh, Paula White gave at the Trump rally the other day? I, I did indeed. Okay, so for the folks out there, uh, I, I'm going to play this for y'all. And, and also, just so y'all know, uh, I did, because uh, you know, I remember last time Paula White did some stuff, <laughs> uh, I, I, I hit her up, I emailed her, she responded, oh, she was taken out of context. Uh, and I said, well, you need to come on to the show. She never did. Uh, I text her this time and also emailed her. She has not responded. Uh, but for the folks at home, um, and, and let me let me give the background for a lot of people out there. We're talking about Paula White, who is literally pastoring a black church in Orlando. The Paula White who took over for the previous pastor uh, who passed away. This is the same Paula White mm -hmm. who got her credibility are preaching to black folks, uh, preaching uh, on BET. Uh, and so this was her, y'all, the other night 
at the Trump rally. Uh, Henry, go to my iPad. Good evening. Are you ready for a great night of victory? I'm going to ask you to do something. As our president often says, and I've had the wonderful privilege of having an 18-year relationship with him and his family, he says, we worship God, not government. So we're going to start out. I'm going to ask you to grab that person's hand next to you, if you don't mind standing up all over this beautiful arena, and just grab that sweaty hand that you've been holding. I believe in the power of unity. And as we begin to make declarations and come to the Father in prayer, Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. And first and foremost, I give you thanks for our great United States. I give you thanks for our president and for your blessings and your goodness. Your word declares in Psalm chapter 34, verse 1, that I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. So we thank you and we bless you, God, for your goodness, for your grace, for your mercy. I pray for the spirit of the Lord to rest upon our president. And let your favor cause his horn, his power, to be exalted, according to Psalm chapter 89, verse 17. Lord, your word says in Psalm chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, Why do the nations conspire, and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up, and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Father, you have raised President Trump up for such a time as this. You are a God that reveals secrets. So reveal the secret and the deep things to President Trump, according to Daniel chapter 2, verse 22. Make known unto him the mystery of your will. I declare that skillful and godly wisdom have entered into the heart of our president and knowledge is pleasant to him. Father, we ask you to compass him with men and women and make their heart and ears attentive to godly counsel, to do that which is right in your sight. Now I need you to really go with me here. Let every evil veil of deception of the enemy be removed from people's eyes in the name which is above every name, the name of Jesus Christ. For you said in your word, so I'm going to deal with some principalities now, okay? Because you said in your word in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, that we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So right now, let every demonic network that has aligned itself against the purpose, against the calling of President Trump, let it be broken, let it be torn down in the name of Jesus. Let the counsel of the wicked be spoiled right now. Now, according to Job chapter 12 verse 17, I declare that President Trump will overcome every strategy from hell and every strategy of the enemy, every strategy, and he will fulfill his calling and his destiny. Destroy and divide their tongues, O Lord, according to Psalm chapter 55 verse 9. Give President Trump strength to bring forth his destiny, according to Isaiah chapter 66 verse 9. Let the secret counsel of wickedness 
be turned to foolishness right now in Jesus' name. And I declare that no weapon formed against him, his family, his calling, his purpose, this council will be able to be formed. Now I declare that you will surround him and protect him from all destruction. Let the angel of the Lord encamp around about him, around his family, according to Psalm chapter 34, verse 7. Establish him in righteousness and let oppression be far from him, according to Isaiah 54, 14. I deploy the hand of God to work for him in the name of Jesus. I secure his calling. I secure his purpose. I secure his family. And we secure victory in the name which is above every name, the name that has never failed for this nation and for my life, the name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said, amen. I'm going to let Robert, Johanna, and Greg weigh in in just a moment. But let me say a few words first. <laughs> Since Paul, Pastor Paula White wants to quote scripture, you should go to Psalm 1 1, where it said, The godly do not walk in the counsel of the wicked. I dare say, Pastor Paula White, the wicked is when you are a president who allows people on the border to somehow be sleeping on uh, uh, cement floors. How you would go to court and say, we don't even have to give them toothbrushes. I dare say, if you call yourself a so-called Christian, you would have the decency to treat human beings like human beings. Mm. Here's what I also want to know, Pastor Paula White, when Reverend William Barber and other preachers and ministers of the gospel and the Jews uh, and uh, Buddhists and others had a prayer walk from, from the uh, church here in New York Presbyterian to the White House, why did this administration lock them out of Lafayette Park? I also want to know, Pastor Paula White, why you as a pastor did not have the courage and the decency to tell Donald Trump why you are afraid to meet with other ministers of the cloth who you might disagree with. See, if you actually have God on your side, if you supposedly have Jesus on your side, then you would not be afraid to meet with other ministers of the gospel. You also said that the evil veil of deception be removed. Please explain to me how you as a pastor defends a man who lies and lies and lies. Please, as a pastor, explain to me how you're supposed to be telling folks to speak truth when you support a man who lies without a doubt who lies about lies every single day. Please tell me how you can talk about uh, 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 every demonic network aligned against Trump. If you're going to pray that thing, then specify that thing. What networks are you talking about, Pastor Paula White? See, what I cannot stand is when you have pastors who pimp God, pastors who have not a a prophetic word, but a partisan word. See, a prophetic word means you ain't afraid to meet with somebody who you disagree with. Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., prophetic, had no problem meeting with folks who disagree with. But see, Pastor Paula Waite, you support a man who will not meet with people who he simply do not like. How do you dare support a man who routinely trashes women and denigrates women, women, children of God? How do you not say a word? You stand in front of a nearly all-white rally in Orlando thundering this particular prayer, saying God is going to cover Trump, saying that God raised Donald Trump up. But see, I got to go to my Bible. I do. 
I do remember that God said, oh, so y'all want a ruler? Okay, I'm going to go ahead and give y'all a ruler. Hmm. Y'all, I, I remember God saying, I told y'all, you don't need a king. But the people said, no, 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 we want a king. Okay, y'all can have Saul. And then what happened? Lord, they were upset. May, no, no, don't come complain to me. Y'all said y'all wanted a king. See, that's what's really going on here, Pastor Paula White. You are misusing the word in defense of somebody who you know ain't even a real Christian. Hmm. See, I would rather you go ahead and just have some basic decency and respect <clears throat> and say that the reason you support Donald Trump is because he's giving y'all conservative judges because y'all want to overturn Roe v. Wade. Y'all want to overturn same-sex marriage. See, I'd rather have the decency to tell the people that as opposed to cloak yourself in the word and stand there uh, as a pastor and somehow pray that kind of prayer. See, the God that I serve, the Jesus that I bow down to, the one that I pray to knows full well that he would not sit here and uh, accept nor give cover, nor give praise, nor give acceptance to what is happening in 1600 Pennsylvania every single day. There is no way in the world, Pastor Paula White, the God that I know, the Jesus that I know, will say that what happens there is acceptable. I know the God that I know and the Jesus that I know will not allow somebody uh, who would denigrate and desecrate people all the time. I know also, the same God wouldn't be happy if a president has a nerve to send a press release out saying he's going to a church to pray with the victims of a shooting in Virginia and he walks in church with his golf spikes on to accept the prayer just for him and wasn't even good enough to stay for the whole service. Because see, the God I know is a man who's good enough that when he had the shooting in Pittsburgh, the people there said, we don't even want you to come. See, if you actually walked with the Lord, if you actually presented yourself as being somebody who loves the Lord, then synagogues wouldn't be turning you away. Churches wouldn't be turning you away. Mosques wouldn't be turning you away. People of faith wouldn't be turning you away. Because the last I checked, the only kind of person who people of faith turn away is darkness, mm. is evil, mm. are wicked individuals. And so... That's going to be a day of reckoning for you, Pastor Paula White. That's going to be a day when you're going to have to answer to who you supported. And that day might come real soon. And see, I ain't talking about just when you got to deal with Jesus and the Lord on this. You got to deal with this with the very people who elevated you. You're going to have to deal with whether or not uh, how you defend the demonic positions of this particular president. You got to defend the demonic positions where you have somebody who chooses to give more wealth to the wealthy and says the hell with the poor. You're going to have to defend Paula White and administration and have the audacity to say we will cut the food that go to the poor. It's, please explain to me what Bible you serve. I'm sorry. I got an iPad, an iPad, an iPhone, and an iPhone. I got the Bible on all four of these devices. Please let me know which one of these Bibles that I can somehow discover to defend somebody who don't care about the poor, somebody who does not care about the hopeless, somebody who does not care about the needy. Please show me the last time this man had any sense of decency or respect to those individuals. I've yet to actually see it, Pastor Paula White. And again, I would love to have a theological conversation with you. I would love to have you to sit here uh, and walk through the text to explain to me 
how what is happening for this administration is biblical. Because see, I just thought with the whole line, how do you defend a man? You say it's godly. You said God, this is what you said. You said God raised President Trump up for such a time as this. <laughs> what that means is that you, as a pastor, you are suggesting that God co-signs everything that he has done. Are you willing to tell God that? Are you willing to pray that every single night? Please tell me that. See, Pastor Paula White, I'm more than welcome to have you sit in this chair. And I have Reverend William Barber sit in that chair. And I have Reverend Jim Wallace sit in that chair. And I'll open a chair for one of your other friends. I would love for you to come here and discuss this. And let me remind you, you came on the radio show WVON in Chicago when you were pushing your book. I had you on the show then. You were on the stage at Bishop T.D. Jake's uh, conference. Uh, I was there. See, you, you might remember, I pulled a video because I shot the video when my wife received one of the awards uh, for her work, uh, for her foundation work. You, you were on stage presenting the award. See, I, I, I got your cell phone, Pastor Paula White. I got your email. See, so all I want, I'm a child of God. I'm a Christian author. And so why won't you have the conversation? Why won't you sit down with pastors who disagree with this president and have a real theological conversation? You had one a couple of years ago uh, at Bishop T.D. Jake's leadership conference. Oh, you remember Father Michael Flager was on stage. Father Joshua Dubois, pastor, was on stage. You remember Bishop Harry Jackson was on stage. Bishop Jakes was sitting in the audience. The four of y'all was moderated by April Ryan. Why won't you have that conversation again so we can go over what has taken place in the last two and a half years of Donald Trump's presidencies? See, I, I would love for you to explain to me uh, these actions. I, I, I would love to hear you break down uh, why it's godly to have a president who trashes people. Is that godly? Is that what Jesus died for? Is that what Jesus wanted? I, will, I would love for you to explain that to me. Because I would dare say you can't explain it. I would dare say that your support of Donald Trump is because of his tax policy, not because of his poor policy. I would dare say you support Donald Trump not because of what he does for the needy, what he does for the wealthy. I would dare say that Donald Trump's presidency aligns with your prosperity gospel. And I would say that ain't got nothing to do with Jesus Christ. That ain't got nothing to do with the poor, the disenfranchised. It has nothing to do with the people who are suffering and who are hurting. What it has to do is with the rich getting richer and the poor getting poor. Every single one of us are going to have to be held to account one day. And you're going to have to be held to account for that prayer, for what you preached. And you gave all those scriptures out. And then you said from every strategy from hell, so are you then saying that those who oppose Donald Trump have been planning this from hell? Hmm. Are you actually suggesting by virtue of your prayer, that if you oppose Donald Trump, that you are doing the bidding of the devil? Hmm. If you say that every strategy from hell, what you're saying is that if there is somebody who opposes what Donald Trump says and does, that means that they are an imp. They are doing the work of the devil 
Is that what you're saying? Are you saying that all of these Christian pastors out here, the same ones who opened their church pulpits up to you to preach prior to Donald Trump, are you saying those individuals have been planning things in hell? Are you saying that somehow that they are doing the devil's work against Donald Trump? I didn't say it. You said it. I would love nothing more for you to clarify what you said. There won't be any yelling, won't be any cursing, won't be any of that. We're going to have us a nice Christian conversation. I don't need no help. It could be me and you. You know what? I make it easier on you. I do it in your church in Orlando. I will fly to Orlando and I bring my cameras with me to have the very conversation. If you are going to stand up, as a pastor and give that kind of prayer, then you also need to explain the kind of prayer. Because remember, Paula White, last time you told me you got misquoted. Remember the email you sent me? Hmm. You sent an email to me saying that uh, you were out of the country uh, and you had been misquoted uh, when you made those comments uh, on uh, 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 Jim Baker's show. You remember that? Oh, I remember that. See, I, I remember the, the, e the email where we went back and forth. And see, I'll pull up in a second. But I really want you to explain this because I really want the pastors out there who support Donald Trump to really defend what he says and does. And I want you to show me biblically where it is so I can be sure that we serve the same God, the same Jesus. Time for all to call. Robert, what's your thoughts? <laughs> well, I think this is a, a perfect example of why we need to have a separation between church and state. <laughs> I've worked on too many campaigns throughout the years of them dragging these pastors around, creating rent-seeking activities where pastors will endorse anybody for a healthy contribution and candidates will pretend to be whatever religion you want them to be uh, in order to get the pastor's congregation behind them. We need to have the church be the church and have politics be, the, be politics and not co-mingle the two to this extent. I remember nothing sadder than 2003 when George Bush was dragging T.D. Jakes and all these other uh, <laughs> black pastors around with him for the faith-based initiative because he uh, promised him two or three biscuits, etc. So let's separate these things out and make sure that we aren't co-mingling our politics with our religious life. Johanna? I think um, Robert made an excellent point, um, the whole notion about separation between church and state. Um, the fact of the matter is um, Minister Paula White, um, she's doing her job, right? She's been um, asked to no, 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 serve no, no, a particular no, no. role. Her job, no, no. her job is to be the pastor well, of the church well, that Zachary Timms and his wife built. Well, That's a job. Well, well part mm. of it is also to advise. Okay, go ahead. To be the spiritual advisor. Oh, no, no. Uh, I, I, just of, want to of, I just want to remind well, folks. That, that, it's that the I, church that Zachary Timms built. That I understand, but another aspect of her job is to advise, um, to spiritually advise, advise the, the, the president. And the fact that, you know, churches are not being taxed, right, um, I, I think that there should be clearly a separation between, between a, a state and, and churches. Uh, and another interesting point is that your God, your definition of your God, it's probably different from her definition of her God, right? So who's right here, right? Um, oh, no, no, hold up. No, 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 no,
So this is real simple. Uh -huh. Baby, the word is the word. Uh -huh. And I'll say Paula White. And he has different interpretations. No, 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 no. This is real simple. And it's not defending her. No, this is real simple. That's just for the word is the word. Yes. All I want, Pastor Paula White, is to show me in the word and defend the policies. I'm sure she can show, show you. I, I don't your think she can. No, no, I don't saying. think she can. Because the Bible is just like the U.S. Constitution. Nah, Whatever no, it's not. You have, no, it's there not. There is a law to support it, right? No, it's not. And, and I'm sure she can support whatever God, she wants. God, the, the right? Bible talked mm -hmm. more about the poor than it did mm -hmm. the rich. Of course. Mm -hmm. And see, I will. I can show the policies, mm -hmm. and I want. I want her to defend Greg the policies. Versus the word, and I'm sure she can defend it. I mean, she, I agree with it, but I'm sure she can defend it. Well, she can't. She can't. She can't use the Bible mm -hmm. to defend it. But, but I think that, and I agree with you on this. This is the 190th anniversary mm -hmm. of David Walker's appeal, 1829. Mm -hmm. David Walker said, "If you're going to be a Christian, black people, mm -hmm. go to the people who have you enslaved and ask them a couple of questions. Number one, you ask them if they're Christians. Mm -hmm. If they say yes, then you ask them, is slavery wrong according to the Bible? If they say yes, then you ask them, will you let me go?" Mm -hmm. If they say no, David Walker writes in his appeal that they are not Christians, but in fact the devil. Mm -hmm. And you have now been cleared by God mm -hmm. to end your condition mm -hmm. by any means necessary. Mm -hmm. Now, let's, let's look at this woman. When I hear her, it reminds me of uh, Charles Coughlin from the 1930s. Mm -hmm. uh, Father Coughlin, mm -hmm. the Catholic bishop, mm -hmm. who a Catholic uh, minister outside Detroit. I'll be in Detroit tomorrow for Cobra. The reparations conference begins uh, today. But Coughlin was on the radio talking to millions of white crack Catholics railing against the Jews, railing against the New Deal. They're not Christians. This is fascism, as you said. It is corporatism, and they are in the guise of Christianity. But if you take David Walker at his what she's praying to, I agree with you, is very different than what you're praying to, Roland, in your humanity, in T.D. Jake's humanity, in the humanity of the people that Robert talked about who invited him in, her into those pulpits. You're extending divine-inspired humanity to her. But in rejecting you, David Walker would say, oh, we're clear now. We end our oppression by any means necessary. This is not a Christian, in fact, that we've just seen. That is, in fact, the devil. And I think that we're also witnessing the church playing a huge role in the political process, right? Of course. Um, the church is not supposed to As be... As it has begun. Oh, oh, oh. That's American. Oh, 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 let's, oh, let's clarify. Let's clarify. Because if you're not... Let's clarify. There's think, a separation. No, let's clarify. No, that, no, 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 no. Let's clarify we say the church. <laughs> no, what we are dealing with are white, conservative... That's right. ...evangelicals. That's right. You're dealing with... black pastors, too. No, no, no. You deal... But it's a few of them. But you're dealing with the Franklin Grahams of the world... Come on, brother. ...who wanted to deny the Christianity of Obama, but wanted to praise the demonic Christianity of Donald Trump. That's right. See, that's what you're dealing with. You deal. See, again, I'm going to call it like it is. These people only care about conservative judges because they want Roe v. Wade and the same-sex marriage to be overturned. That's right. That's all they care about. And all I'm saying is, put it out there. Mm -hmm. But don't stand there mm -hmm. and talk about my God well, I mean, and what's why, demonic why, why why that and what's evil. Huh? I mean, that, that's the, why can't they do that? I mean, in other words, yeah. why because can't they just say, we want to impose exactly. a white nationalist Christian theocracy on everyone in the country? Because, why can't they say that because, to you? Because uh, <laughs> they think we boo-boo the fool, and uh, they're sitting here <laughs> knowing that uh, if you do that, then your true intentions will be out there, and you cannot cloak yourself uh, in the throne. You can't cloak yourself in the Lord, blood of Jesus. Lord, have mercy. That's the real deal. Like my mom. And see, they don't. And see, <laughs> and, and see, and they don't want to do that. That's why I need y'all to understand, Robert. Jerry Falwell Jr., who's not a minister, who's caught up in this pool boy controversy in Miami. Robert Jeffers, 
all of these conservative evangelicals, not a single one of them would sit down with Reverend Barber or Reverend Jim Wallace. Mm -hmm. In fact, Jerry Falwell Jr., when Reverend Barber and the Poor People's Campaign went down to Lynchburg, Virginia, he sent the word to the police department of the university, if they step foot on this campus, arrest them and ordered not a, to all the student body, don't you dare go visit that church when they come to town. That's, if you want to say demonic, mm. that's demonic when you are so scared of the power of poor people mm. that you say, don't you dare step foot on this campus. Robert, final comment. Well, this is a perfect example of uh, what I was saying previously is that the church has been its most effective when it's that third rail, when it is united not around a particular candidate, not around a particular political mm -hmm. party, but an independent actor for the Christian community. As long as we have pastors and churches pledging allegiance to any candidate, any party, it dilutes their message because they have now sold out to their earthly powers and not to the divine power above. Pastor Paula White, these church doors are open. <laughs> You can come here anytime. I'll go to you. You can come here. You're always in D.C. And we can have that conversation. Because if you truly believe in the word of God, you wouldn't be afraid of another Christian, would you? I would love for you to answer that question. Folks, support Roller Martin Unfiltered by going to RollerMartinUnfiltered.com. Joining our Bring the Fuck fan club. Uh, you can, of course, contribute via Square, Cash App, PayPal as well. We are here about having the conversations other folks are afraid to have. And you know what? I'm telling you, I would love to have. Matter of fact, I say this past Paula White. I give you the whole hour. Me and you, one-on-one, -on -one, the entire hour. If you want to do two hours, we can do two hours. Take your pick, D.C., Orlando, your place at Trump Tower, don't matter. I'll go anywhere to have a conversation. You know why? Because I love Jesus. Holla. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. 
Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. I'm late. I'm late for a very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from undercover tourists. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from undercover tourists and authorized seller and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with undercover tourists now and save. UndercoverTourist.com Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity, designed for women's unique retirement needs, with flexible withdrawals plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. Gainbridge is helping build a better financial future for women. Retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information.